This is exactly right. I'm Kate Winkler Dawson, a journalist, author, and podcast host. And I'm Paul Holes, a retired investigator with experience solving some of America's most notorious cold cases. Together, we host Buried Bones, a historical true crime podcast on the Exactly Right Network. Each week, we examine a different case from history and use our years of experience and 21st century forensics to bring new insights into these very old tragedies. Like the time the Sausage King of Chicago's wife went missing in 1897. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday. Follow Buried Bones wherever you get your podcasts. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Welcome. It's That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. I am Lisa. And I am Kara. And you know what we do, guys. We talk about Law & Order SVU. We talk about a true crime it's based on. We normally interview a guest, but right now we are suspending guests while the SAG-AFTRA and WGA strikes kind of work themselves out. We really hope that they will be resolved soon so we can keep bringing you dazzling conversations with celebs because we do love talking to people. But for now, we're just going to do the other parts of our podcast that you enjoy. But before that, I'm going to take a minute to continue to plug our live tour. Uh, We are kicking it off in about 10 days. We're going to be in DC. And then we're going to be in Atlanta, Raleigh, Charlotte. We move on after that to a bunch of other cities. Buffalo, come see us. That's a new city we've never gone to. Toronto, we've never been to you. Salt Lake, we've never been to you. Milwaukee, we're coming to all kinds of new cities, as well as the old standbys like Boston, New York. Boston. We are and doing the Wilbur. Just, yeah, I was about to say, not just Boston. It's the motherfucking yeah, Wilbur. We're doing the fucking Wilbur. That's the biggest venue we've ever done. We need you guys to come out. Bring your bearded husbands. Bring your friends who have seen Law & Order but never watched our podcast. I promise they will have a good time. We put on a great show, guys. Um, and it's that'smessuplive.com. Has all the ticket links, all the dates, all the cities, all the information you could possibly need. And, um, and now- I am on a solo tour as well. And my birthday is in two days. So I am anticipating s- some messages, guys. <laughs> am I going to get a little love or what? Yeah. I don't. Let's flood the glitter cheese IG with some love, babies. I want to see it. Yeah. I'm going to be 36. So crazy. <laughs> so crazy. I remember 36 like it was a few years ago and it was it's great. A, it's a good luck Jewish number. Oh, is it? Yeah. It's divisible by, you know, 18 is like a special Jew number. Okay. And anything divisible by 18. Ooh. Is fun. So, yeah. It says, at weddings bar mitzvahs, when making honorary donations, Jews often give gifts of Money in multiples of 18, symbolically giving the recipient the gift of life or luck. So interesting. And you so wish this is people, gonna be a lucky, a lucky year for you. Yeah. And then it says, so make a donation in honor of a friend and then uh to, to wish them a long life by multiplying by 18. So huh. Well, I'm a bad Jew. I didn't know any of that. That's from the JCC in Milwaukee. <laughs> JCC in Milwaukee, come see us. We're coming through. 
Uh, maybe I we'll stop by. a lot of time at the JCC. Me and my dad will play racquetball. I love oh, racquetball. Really? I want to get back into it. I mean, I want to get back into any physical activity, um, but... Are you interested in the craze that's sweeping the no. nation? Pickleball. No. No. You know, I, sometimes I'm a follower and I'm basic, and sometimes I'm just like, if everyone likes it, I'm not getting into it. And that's <laughs> that. Um, and I just don't see myself getting into pickleball. But it looks wh- why? It's kind of fun to me. It looks like easy tennis. Like, I don't know why yeah, I but I'd rather play try tennis. It. Like, I'd rather play tennis. The racket is so hard to hold in tennis. <laughs> Not for me, but let's see if there's racquetball places. Maybe I we would can do that. Racquetball. Is racquetball courts. different from squash? Obviously, it's it's two different names, but I have no idea. I know, but I don't what's know the, the difference? difference? What's the difference between racquetball and squash? Both of the balls are hollow and rubber. rubber. However, people oh my also God. ask, I'm at Google and it says, people also ask, does anybody play racquetball anymore? <laughs> and I love that. <laughs> oh, it says, can you play a racquetball on a squash court? Yeah, the game is played on a standard squash court. But unlike squash, you play with a bigger and bouncier blue ball. As the racket has a larger head and a shorter handle, it is easy to manipulate. If you haven't um, played any racket sports before, racquetball is a great way to start. Okay. Yeah, I love racquetball. It just looks so much like squash because of the clear box that you play in. But yeah, I can see. Yeah. I played in college too. Oh, really? Yeah, for some some wild reason, Iowa State had racquetball courts. And I played. That's amazing. Yeah, it was quite exciting. I mean, yeah. It's so, I really feel like my brain is Debbie Downer. Like my brain immediately went to like, Fuck, I wish everyone had schools with fun stuff, even though that's college and you pay for it. But yeah, no, I need to. I'm tr- like, we're so obviously we're in the time machine as usual, but we're like in super time machine right now because we're banking a few episodes so we can go on a little vacay. And I, so as of right now, we'll be back from our vacation and I will allegedly be kickstarting a more physical, uh, some more physical activity in my life. That's what my goal is for when I get back from my trip. Well, let's do it together. Let's play something. I bought I would also go to boxing with you. I know, but I just feel like I'm so out of shape that boxing is so intense that I would throw (laughs) up. Like, because I've been to Laco Fitness. Like, I would go all the time when I was, like, more physically active. And it is, it's hard. It's like boot camp and boxing. And it's just a little intimidating when I'm like... I can't even go up the stairs at the moment. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, I think no. I'll start Bo. Let's do, like, I would start with Bo in my, like, now that I have my place clean again. Like, I could do Bo. Some Bo, baby. I do love it. I do love Bo. I am a big fan. I've never done it. Oh, the YouTube, it's really, I, I, I love Billy Blanks. I love the workouts. I really, um, I, hopefully he's not a molester. You know, we, it's hard you to know, advocate for You can't for love any anybody. Man. You can't love anybody. It's really difficult. And then even the people that I think were lovable icons like Pee Wee Herman, who just passed away, like was busted masturbating in a, in a, an adult theater. And it's like, he's a pedophile. So it's like, everyone's going after the wrong people for being perverts. Yeah, what so I'm saying. it's Tybo Advanced and there's like one through 12. I just, I love it. 50 minute advanced workout. This is the best one. Am I going to work out today? <laughs> Do it. The YouTube so is on. Hot. This is a really wild intro. It's just me Googling things and I apologize. Yeah. You guys, you guys deserve a more narrative, journalistic, <laughs> fun intro. But I mean, should I tell... 
I'm like, what's going on? We went and got our nails done yesterday together. We went and picked up Oscar. Oscar said, hi, Lisa, and gave you a high five. I'm trying to think what's been going on even. Like, what's what are we, what do we have going on? It just feels like... I know, even when people are like, how's life? I'm like, I don't know, good and bad. Like, what, what is life? <laughs> Some things are amazing. Some things are terrible. Yeah. And we keep it moving. Yeah. No, it's true. Like when everybody's like, how is it going? I'm like, I don't know. The former president's been indicted three times, but it seems like everything else is, a lot of other things are going okay. I don't know. I, you know what? I'm jealous. Okay. So as of this taping, we are possibly trying to procure Beyonce tickets. You may be able to get them. I'm in it for an extra. If I, if I, if there happens to be an extra, we are in the midst of about to start the Taylor weekend here in LA, where apparently she's doing, I think, five or six shows in LA and is supposed to bring in like $150 million in income for LA in those like six days. It's a wild concert summer. Oprah's at Beyonce saying that Beyonce is God. Every time I'm on my Instagram, I'm just seeing Beyonce concert footage and it looks so fucking awesome and I'm so jealous. It does. And that's what got me wanting to go to Gaga last summer, which was like all the Insta footage. I go, oh, I need to see this show. And it was incredible. And that's how I'm feeling now. A friend reached out. He does have a gift. But like the difference between getting two tickets and three tickets is huge. Like yeah. that it kind of is so hard. But I also am not willing to spend a thousand. Like I'm not. No, no, no. I know? would do a couple hundred, maybe three. But like, yeah, I can't. I can't really I'm do more than that. Gonna try to be the sweeper. I'm gonna try to take all the tickets that um, people like day of people need to get rid of. You know, their but, resale didn't work, and I want them. Yeah, but um, in my mom group, people are trying to sell these Taylor tickets for like twenty five hundred dollars each. It's so I don't understand why this cannot be capped. Why can't we make just tickets non transferable? Like you have to have your ID with you. That's not, that's not. Is that crazy? It is because, I mean, I think it's wrong to buy tickets with just the idea of reselling, but like, why? If like big companies are doing it, why can't an individual do it? But like, what if you can't But if they're using software to like cut other people off from getting a chance, like if you buy two tickets and you're like, oh, you know what? I could sell these for so much and make money. I don't begrudge you that. But if you're like, a scalp, a professional scalper that has like software that can cut other people and you can go grab up all these tickets and then sell them. That is a little bit more annoying to me. Well, now Ticketmaster and all the sites, they're also down with it because they have their own resale capabilities. Yeah. So now it's like, they're not even going to try to stop it. They don't care. Nobody cares. It's crazy. It's just, it is gross. But like for, to not transfer is tough because for me, it's like, I had tickets to Miley once and then my favorite comic asked me to open for him and I had to give my tickets away. Yeah. And, but I just gave them to someone. I didn't sell them. Like, I don't know. Oh, by the way, have, as we're supposed to go to Madonna in September. Has it been officially canceled? Well, it's for sure rescheduled. And if they don't reschedule within 60 days, we're eligible for a refund, but not yet. And I kind of just want the time to realize, because I don't trust her anymore. Like, I'm done. I don't think she's going to do it. I think she's lying. I don't think she has an infection. I think she is not ready for the tour. Really? That is what I think. Okay. I have to go cancel the hotel I reserved for us. Oh, it's for Um, sure not happening when we- Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We just haven't talked about it yet. So I was like, oh, I'm so bummed. That was going to be so fun. I know. It's really annoying. It's definitely annoying. But listen, let's start this episode. Our episode's not annoying. This intro might have been. Yeah, Madonna this intro might, might be. be all over the place, but we've got a great episode for you. This is truly one of the best 
episodes of SVU, I think, ever. This is like a classic. Uh, People have been asking for it since the beginning, so let's give it to them. Okay, today we are doing Totem. That's season 12, episode 20. Okay. This is like getting very close to the end of Maloney. Damn. Yeah. So it opens up on backpack teen girls running through the streets of New York City. And they're like, oh my God, hurry, he's going to catch us. And they duck under a couch being carried on the sidewalk, which is like a lot of hijinks, I would say, some a little comedy. <laughs> and they uh, check like a pink tech object and they start talking about pirates and a flag. And we see they are playing a game. They are not being chased by a pedophile. So huge news. Well, this then- is one of like many episodes where people are doing like geocaching as like a way of finding a body. Like this episode. Happens like all the time. Yeah. Or it's like the fake out with horror movies being filmed. You know, it's a fake out category. Yeah. yeah. And then one of the girls trips over some luggage on the sidewalk and their kids are like, oh my God, open it, zip it open. Uh oh, there is a body in the suitcase. So we immediately get Finn and Benson on the scene and Benson looks incredible. This, I, I am like blown away. She always looks good, but it's an all black outfit, it's tight. And the badge is on her hip, which is like my favorite way to place a badge. They think it's a kid named Marnie because Finn says no other kids were reported missing, but that seems impossible that only one kid is missing at a time. Like, I don't get that. But Melinda's on the case as well. She's in a brown beanie kneeled over the body. And they check the photo of Marnie to the body, and it is Marnie, um, who is a blonde young girl. And then a blonde mom runs and is sobbing and saying, no, 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 no. And she's crying into Finn's arms, and she can barely breathe through her tears. But and like, it cuts who told to the them credit. To come there. Who told the mom? Oh, they found a suitcase. It might be your daughter. Like, meet me at the morgue. Like, why are we talking to them, having the mom come up to, on the streets? That's true. I was, <laughs> I, in my head, I thought it was like, just like, she's in the neighborhood and the kid has been missing. Yeah. So maybe she heard something and then ran and ran. Maybe. So we're back from the credits and we have Benson doing a press conference with a ton of media crowded around. She explains how Marnie disappeared on her way home from school and then um, the sad news that the body was found and begging the public to contact SV with any information. Finn meets her to continue doing the real work and the church where the bag was found in front has been very helpful. And there's no evidence of a crime in there, but patrols are going to canvas and like, you know, check out the church anyways. Maloney meets up with them and surveillance from the park district has a bird's eye view footage of the church. Benson gets a ring to her phone and walks away. Maloney and Finn watch the footage and they see the duffel around 2 p.m. And now it's like, okay, let's rewind it. Yes, a truck is fucking blocking the camera. And sadly, the person did the drop in between 1.45 and 2 while the truck was blocking the camera. Finn is going to track down the driver of the truck and maybe they saw something. Benson reveals the call she got was from Melinda. She wants them all to meet with B.D. Wong at the morgue, a.k.a. George Huang. Okay, FBI extraordinaire. And we um, go to the morgue and we see a tiny dead child. And it's, I don't need to see this. It's like she's on a neck head holding thing. It's clearly a dead kid. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Melinda also has bad news that the killer is a sexual predator. Upsetting. Evidence, evidence of rape, but no fluids, hairs, or skin cells, or lube. So she thinks someone used a foreign smooth object. And Maloney's like, fuck, so this guy's dick didn't work. He had to use an object. And he, like, spits on the morgue floor in disgust. And Melinda's like, stop spitting on the floor. JK, that didn't happen. (laughs) 
It didn't happen, but he was disgusted. And anyways, so the death is traumatic asphyxia. So she was suffocated. But with what? And then Jeremy Irons pops out of nowhere and he's got something to say. Even before hello, he goes, the pillow her head was resting on. And Benson knowingly is like, oh, hey, what's up? You know, they have history. His name is Dr. Jackson. And we got to talk about Dr. Jackson, a.k.a. Jeremy Irons. Um, We can't like skip over this, you know, man with an accent with a wild entrance. (laughs) He was in the episode Mask um, from the same season, but episode 13. So seven episodes before this where him and his daughter had a fucked up relationship because he thought he was drunk and raped his daughter, but actually he just like fucked her friend consensually. But also his daughter does die. Okay, anyways. What are you, what do you think of Jeremy Irons from when you see him? Like, well, yeah, so, you know, he, the IMDb is robust, I would say. (laughs) Three, three, three digits, three digits. He has an Oscar, Emmy, and a Tony. So I'm like, baby, go narrate a book. Let's get you a Grammy. What the yeah. fuck? Um, but he also, what's funny is he has a Serbian vibe, like that basketball player I've been into. He's <laughs> quoted, he's like, I, I work to live. I don't live to work. I'm not like Al Pacino. And that was like a quote in the IMDb. And Al Pacino obviously makes me think of our former guest, Beverly D'Angelo, putting her career on hold to raise his twins. Because as she said, what? I'm going to tell Al Pacino to stop? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking love Beverly Lady Angelo. He is famously Scar from The Lion King. So yes. I would say that is huge. But to me, since you asked, um, he's Man in the Iron Mask. That was huge for me because oh. it was um, like the first movie post-Titanic for Leonardo DiCaprio. And I remember rushing to the movie theater to see it and I would watch it all the time. And I loved, like the ending was twist. Like I loved Man in the Iron Mask. So he... That's what he is for me. Okay. Are you going to yeah. answer your question too yeah. or what? <laughs> I think it's, for me, it's Scar also. But um, I also watched Reversal of Fortune when I was like way too young about Sonny and Klaus Van Bulo with He's in it with Glenn Close. And he I like- I don't know what you're talking about. I I think he kills his wife and it's like they're okay. like socialites. It's like a very famous real story. Is there an SVU episode based on the crime? Maybe we can I mean, cover there it. fucking should be. But yeah, she was um, Sonny Von Bulo and he was convicted in 1992 of a, in 1982 of attempting to murder her by insulin overdose, but the conviction was overturned on appeal. And I just remember like my family would always do like, Oh yeah, Sonny never liked like it's just like this Jeremy Irons voice that he always does. <laughs> like if our mom made us go somewhere, we'd be like, Sonny never liked doing our homework. Like we would always do Jeremy Irons voice. Um, so that's a weird movie that I know him from, but I'm sure I know him from like a ton of other shit. I've never seen Man in the Iron Mask though. So Oh, really? Put that on the old list. Anyway, he should fucking narrate a book. I would love to listen to a book narrated by him. He has a cool voice. You know? Oh, yeah. Like a thriller. And to be honest, he... I don't love his character. I don't need him in SVU. Is that bad? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I hope Jeremy doesn't listen to this. No, it's good that they just gave him this, like, extra one and then they were out. I'm sure they were like, we can't turn down, like, another chance of Jeremy Irons because that's a pretty big name. But I don't think we needed to, like, you know incorporate him into the lore forever. But but even the story with his daughter is like weird, you know? It's Falmouth, Falmouth, whatever. Falmouth. Falmouth. 
Cape Cod. I've been there. <laughs> oh, he was also in The Simpsons season 12. He was a bar rag. Um, <laughs> that's hilarious. I know. In the episode, Mo goes from rags to riches, which is a very Warren Light style title, yeah, I would say. That's how you know it's season uh, 17. Wait, um, he was in House of Gucci. I don't remember that. I did like that. I liked seeing that. I saw it in the theater, I think. Or on a plane. I Who saw knows? it on the on a plane, I think. But anyway, so he's actually filling in her Huang. So that's kind of wild. Huang's doing him a solid and got him some consulting work with the FBI after his clinic folded because he was accused of, you know, raping his daughter. Um, so, but he didn't. Anyway, no. yeah, it would be weird if the detectives were working with him. No, so, he just had consensual sex with another teen girl. So still not great. <laughs> So, you know, they're like, so what are we looking at? And he says, someone who cared that, you know, she was comfortable before she was abandoned, silk sheets, she's tucked in, and there's a doll with her. So Marnie wouldn't feel alone. And then we find out from Melinda that she was drugged with sleeping pills called Zolpidan, so she didn't feel any pain. Which is Ambien, by the way. Oh, okay, great. Yeah. Strong drug. So... You know, and then the drop-off by the church means that, you know, he was trying to atone for the crime. And Jeremy's like, I think the murder was just not to be caught. And it's like, who cares what the motive for the murder is? What's a better motive? Like, to not get caught or just to kill for the thrill? It doesn't matter. The kid is dead and molested. Yeah. So, okay. So, let, let you know, we're going to go look at some usual suspects of pedophiles. And then Benson and Sabler leave. And she's like, what the fuck? Huang is in the FBI. Like, this guy's never done this before. And Sabler goes, I think he's going to bring something to the table. Like, don't worry. He's a man. He'll help us. So... It's a pedophile party at the precinct. All these creepy, classic pedo-looking men are at the desks. And, you know, they need to provide alibis and convince the detectives that they are not the... They're not guilty. Um, show us that you are not a criminal. And then, oh my God, one is a teacher and has students, which is fucked because he groped a 10-year-old that he works at. And guess where he works as a teacher? Hudson University. Of course. So, of course, they hired a fucking person that was convicted of molesting a 10-year-old, but he has tenure. So, that's that. Jeremy Irons size. <laughs> uh, Maloney's like, yeah, welcome to the perv parade that leads to nowhere. And then Irons asks about... Um, like about the doll. And Stabler goes, okay, well, the doll is called Perfect Penny and they stopped making it in 1989 and it wasn't Marnie's. So we got to find out where this fucking doll came from. Benson joins the conversation to say that the dad is coming for, um, from out of town. He was in Honolulu, which is a sad long flight. Yeah, that's like a 10 to 11 hours of your daughter being gone. And, but also, your daughter was already missing, so why were you still in Hawaii? Yeah. You should have scooted home a little while ago. Who knows how long she was missing for? Do we know? No. Yeah. And even though he was out of town, maybe creeps work in pairs. So they're going to welcome the dad home and ambush him after this long, sad flight because they think that he worked in a pair and the other pair killed his daughter. Stop. Stop. <laughs> Stop. So the parents are fighting and yelling outside of like a brownstone um, to their house. And then the dad shoves the mom and the mom kind of falls on the stoop stairs behind her. And then he just begins to walk off. And then Finn like goes up to him. He swings, misses, and they arrest him. And his name is actually Chet Hadler. So Finn calls him a douchebag and he's like, I didn't do anything. And Benson's like, you just shoved a dead girl's mother. And so now he's in a cell room with bars. And 
and he is the mom's boyfriend. He is not the dad. And they're just dating. And Finn is like, babe, for real or in your dreams? And he's like, listen, she was going to leave her husband and take Marnie and move in with me. And Finn is like, why? So you can push them both around. And he denies being the killer. He's like, I did not kill this. I did not kill Marnie. And the mom defends Chet. And the husband has known about the affair for two months. So, and she keeps trying to dump Chet. Like, she does not want to be with him. She wants to be with her husband who knows about the affair. But this Chet guy won't go away. And he just thinks that they're meant for each other. And Benson um, is like, do you know he's a jailbird? And she does not. And he fucking served time for forcible touch of a 13-year-old kid. His last girlfriend's kid. Jesus. His response was, it was that little bitch's idea. So Finn leans in and says, that little bitch told me you wanted a threesome. And the mom is yelling at Benson, like, how dare you accuse me of a threesome? And she's like, because you already lied to us. And she's like, I was at work. And she says, well, your boss says different and that you left after lunch. And she's like, fine, okay. And it's like, your daughter is dead and was missing. Like, why are you lying to investigators to keep yeah. an affair? Like, yeah. it, it, it's truly wild <laughs> to me. So she finally admits the truth that her and Chet checked into a hotel at 1.30 and they were in bed while Marnie just disappeared. And finally, she starts to cry. Benson seems sad. There's a walk and talk with Benson and Stabler. And I just really love Benson again. Like, I, I just like love the way she looks in this episode. And Stabler is most Stabler. He goes, great. She's getting laid while her daughter is raped and murdered. Who's going to tell the dad? So now we're in a brainstorm session and Jeremy Irons gives a suggestion that uh, like a mic drop moment. He thinks the attacker is a woman. Women rapists are rare, but not unheard of. So now let's hear why. He's And, and it's the same shit. It's like, the killer made sure that the child was asleep, wrapped in the silk, the pink pillow. Like, there's a doll. And, he, and they're like, well, we've seen men perverts do this all the time to lure kids. He goes, yeah, but there's no sign of penile penetration or DNA. And Stabler's like, sure, but like, it was an object. Men can use objects too. Like, I, I don't see this. And so then the detectives can count on two hands the years of like female on female molestation and they have never arrested a woman solo for sodomizing and raping a girl. But he just feels it's a woman who wanted the dead to be safe with God and he just really thinks the killer is a woman. But the detectives are not convinced. But then the music starts playing um, out into commercial and now we're back and we're uh, with Jeremy sipping out of a mug and thanking Benson for the flowers that she sent for his daughter's funeral. She changes the subject quickly and they plan um, Jesus Benson's flower budget must be like off the charts if she's sending flowers to all the people she meets who have death that's a lot of flowers yeah yeah <laughs> and then she asks if there's any plan to bring back the cl uh, the clinic and he's like haven't you heard I'm a charlatan he violated confidentiality of patients um, and Benson is like you saved your patients from a killer and he's like yeah but I couldn't save my daughter because yeah so the episode mask he runs a support group for sex crimes like um like an AA group but for sex criminals and one of the criminals is the one that killed his daughter and, you know, Stabler went undercover. There was just, like, a lot of shadiness in the episode. But, yeah, he's sad he couldn't save um, his daughter. This is a really intense chat. And so he brings it back to the case. And he's like, okay, 
what kind of cases do you do without men since most have a men um, involved somehow? And she says it's usually a Mrs. Robinson type who seduces teenage boys. And so it's like teachers in love. Irons is like, yeah, but women who abuse girls are different than those who abuse boys. And she's like, yes, there's there are very few and they're appalled by their own actions. But have any killed the girls? And he said twice. But both types, they were sociopaths. Like this killer is different. It doesn't give me socio vibes. And he goes, she had genuine care and tenderness. And Benson, it fucking finally hits her. She goes, oh my God, our perp was abused herself. Duh. And he thinks the clue to the psyche of the abuse and the killer and everything is the perfect penny doll. And he says, totem. Okay. So it's a totem for innocence that her abuser stole from her. And they have to talk to every woman in Marnie's life. And finally, Benson is convinced. So we go to the home and talk to the nanny housekeeper type. And she is sad and she has an alibi. And she says, Monday after school, Marnie has piano lessons. So now we talk to a blonde woman who is famous. Her name is Elizabeth Mitchell. And she's playing the piano teacher. And she has like bad posture, nervous energy. And whatever outfit you're picturing for a piano teacher... She's wearing it. So, um, and she's also in another SVU episode. She's in season four, episode 14, Mercy. And it's the Tay-Sachs baby cooler Um. episode. And she was in 57 episodes of Lost, 14 episodes of ER. She's just like a prolific TV actress, I would say. Yeah, I don't know her from anything, but Jared saw me watching this episode and goes, I know her. And it's probably because she was in The Expanse or something. She's in some sci-fi stuff. Yeah, and so she's playing this piano lady and she's crying and she's like so upset by the death. And that she's saying that Marnie's mom canceled the piano lesson last Monday and she starts babbling and babbling and we learn that her parents died in a car crash when she was 17 and she hasn't changed anything in the house since. And that's why it's like old-timey looking. And she has photos of Marnie and she's like, Marnie had perfect posture and hand position. She was such a natural talent. And like, would she be less sad if she was bad at piano? Now we talk in front (laughs) of sports trophies with a school employee and Jeremy Irons. And this girl was an amazing athlete with great sportsmanship too. The whole school is obsessed with her and she has not one enemy. So all the teachers have alibis and they're like, okay, so... Everyone thinks this kid is great. The teachers all have alibis. Like, what the fuck are we going to do? And so then it's like, okay, well, this person is like super under the radar. Like, you know, but maybe they'll come to the funeral. So let's go to the funeral. Classic. So they go to the, it's a big church funeral, white casket, and Stabler and Irons could not look more like cops. (laughs) But everyone is there. And then Benson sees a woman bolting. And holy shit, it's the piano teacher in the crowd outside. Um, She did not go into the church service. So that's suspicious. And so they like, you know, they try to talk to her, she runs the fuck off. So you're a suspect now, bitch. Um, and her name is June Fry, and she's 37 years old. She has no police record and never married. And the brownstone is around the corner from the church. The mom denies canceling the piano lesson on Monday and says quite the opposite, that she called to cancel around 2 p.m. And so she also blew off a bunch of other students that day. And Irons asks if June canceled the lesson and why, like, why did Marnie show up? And it's because the school secretary forgot to deliver the message. So Marnie just like could have just walked there. So they think that, you know, so June called, canceled the lesson. The secretary didn't say something. Marnie walked over there. Uh Uh-oh, this case is really coming together. The school secretary probably feels pretty guilty, I hope. (sighs) It's like, do your fucking job. (laughs) So we got to get a search warrant for her brownstone. 
And Iron's showing his lack of expertise is like, let's just ask her to see it. And they're like, babe, um, then it can't be evidence in court. Like she might destroy evidence if she knows we're onto her. And he's like, well, she knows we're onto her. She ran away from us at the church. <laughs> like what? And I mean, it's not like SVU loves following rules anyway. So they're convinced and they're like, yeah, let's just go over there. So they knock, knock, knock. And we hear piano music playing. And then um, a blonde woman with barrettes and a sweater is flabbergasted and is like, what do you want now? And Benson's like, babe, we need your help. And she's like, please. And she says, I can't. Please don't come here again. And Jeremy Irons tries to connect. Um, like, oh, piano. I like piano. So, and that's, I guess, <laughs> enough to connect. But she says, it's too painful. Like, I can't talk about this. And he's like, well, what if it helps us get like, who did this to her? It'll only take a few minutes. So she lets them in. And it's it. So he asks her for tea. She goes to put water on and Stabler goes to the bat, like to the bathroom downstairs. So they're like, they're being shady. So Stabler explains to Jeremy Irons, like anything that we find without opening a drawer or opening a door is fair game. They see old magazines. It's like time truly stopped 30 years ago in this house. And he's like, something happened here that brought her like to a screeching halt. And he says he sees a blonde curl on music notes. That's haunting. Um, it's a fake curl of hair, but it could be perfect pennies. So the men um, also, they see a pink pillow that's the same that was found with her. And they smell bleach. And they notice through the window, the basement window, that she's taken out the garbage. She's upstairs just playing piano as everyone's running around. (laughs) And Benson is listening and compliments her and is like, oh, cool, as the men dig through the trash. And then another luggage piece from the set, and it's a wooden spoon. And Benson on walkie, we hear, says, rush a bus to 451 Hamilton Terrace. And Maloney hears it on the radio while digging in the trash. And it's like, what the fuck is going on? And she had a cardiac arrest. She was playing and just collapsed. She's not breathing. And Irons does CPR. Like, holy shit, what is about to happen? And then they see the the pill bottle and the canister is empty and it's the Zolpidan, the, what is it? The generic. But is it generic? Ambien is a brand name for, yes. Zolpidem is the generic, yes. Um, Okay, someone's on a budget. (laughs) Someone's on an HMO. And she said, tell Marnie's parents, I'm sorry. Um, And so this case is wrapping up, but we still have a chunk of the episode. So like, what's going to happen? But she is pissed. She is really pissed that they saved her and she wants to be dead. And they share with her all the evidence of the crime that they have. And she covers her eyes and is like, please, please, please just leave me alone. And he says, June, I know you love Marnie, but give her parents some peace and tell them why. And she's just like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. She said, I will die before I talk about Marnie. And they did find Marnie's prints up in the room, but like also dozens of kids that play piano there. So that like, that can't be proof. They have like no proof that connects her to anything. Um, but we, she does have a secret. We can tell she's so nervous and she just tried to take her own life. But so um, we have to unlock the door to her secrets. And they all look at Jeremy Irons. They're like, you're the sweet talker here. It worked once. You, you know, you connected on piano. So you go give it a shot. So he puts the doll on an office chair in the wood blinds room. <laughs> she is like, I already told you, I'm not saying shit. You should have let me die. And she is like, there is nothing to talk about. And he's like, well, how about why you tried to take your own life? And she's like, oh, you're a psychologist, aren't you? And he goes, nope, a psychiatrist. Same deal, except a few more days of medical school. And I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, psychiatrist is, um, is a longer thing because you can prescribe medication. 
Yeah, it totally makes sense. I just never really thought about it. Mm-hmm. Well, I had a wild thing. So I have um, my never-ending row of issues. So I picked up two prescriptions yesterday and the pharmacist gave me directions on how to use it. But the doctor in my portal gave me different directions. And I was like, who do you listen to, the pharmacist or the doctor? I feel like this is a Curb episode or like Seinfeld or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, and so I messaged the doctor back and the doctor was wants what he wants. But I was just like wondering about that yesterday. Yeah. the doc- Also the other day, the pharmacist said, okay, this is a 30-day supply. And I go, this is a 10-day supply. She goes, it says 30. And like, it was a 10-day supply. So who knows? So no shade that- to pharmacists. Well, it's definite shame to pharmacists because, so psychiatrists have to learn psychology and then they have to learn everything that pharmacists learn. Is that it? I think so. I think, I I would assume. Um, Yeah. So are they going to make as dumb mistakes as the pharmacist did yesterday? (laughs) Anyways, she is not having it. She goes, you know why people end their lives. And he goes, yeah. They have too much pain that they can be- that they can't bear, and they they think that throwing in the towel is easier than dealing with what is the cause of the pain. And she says she doesn't deserve to live. He asks um, when she started playing piano. Five years old, her mother taught her, um, and that she was an only child. And he asks if she treasured her, and she used to read her stories, fairy tales, and called her my little princess. And the doll just keeps sitting there like a little Chucky, like a little well dressed Chucky. <laughs> And he brings her onto the table and the doll stares at Blondie. And he then asks about the dad and she's like, I don't want to talk about him. And he pushes. He's like, do you remember, you know, when he gave you the doll and he is he caressing the doll and she grabs the doll away from him and says, stop torturing me. She yells, you don't know anything about how I feel. And maybe I should ask for a lawyer. And he says, oh, well, we're talking. You don't need a lawyer. And then knock, knock on the mirror, like the fastest. (laughs) But then she's distressed. She's like, wait, wait, people are watching us. What? And he walks out and is like, why the hell did you do that? And they're like, babe, you can, this is like cop 101. If they ask for a lawyer, you shut the fuck up because we can't use anything she says after that in court. He's like, well, you're an agent of the police. Like, I'm not. And they're like, you need to listen to us. And he's like, well, he's like, well, if I act legally and change her mind, is that okay? And they're like, yeah, if you can change her mind legally. So he goes back there and he tries to t- trick her into giving up her rights. He makes a show of saying how he can't talk and he has to grab his jacket and he's out of there. And it's like, babe, you didn't even want to talk anyways. So like, why, are, like th- why would this work? You know? Yeah, suddenly she's like, wait, 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 where are you going? I loved talking. And her thing is like, she would just like rather talk to him than anyone that's on the other side of the mirror. Yeah. And so she waves her... um, Because he like knows about Chopin or whatever. Yeah. (laughs) It always is so funny um, the way they connect to people who just like do not want to be connected by such a tiny little thing. (laughs) But she also doesn't want them watching. So he tells her like, why don't we sit on this couch on the other side of the room? They won't be able to see you there. And I can't tell if that's a lie or not. Like, I I think it's a lie. So he says he knows about family pain, that his daughter stopped speaking to him um, at age 16 and hated him for 20 years, his little Anne. And she asks what happened. And he says that she was attacked by somebody who worked with him and she died. Oh, yeah. It wasn't it was one his, of the pedophile, was, the secretary. Yeah it, was, yeah, it was the guy that worked for him. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it was. Um, she was attacked by, I mean, SVU is so good. And why did she hate him? So he said he was addicted to sex and alcohol and he didn't do anything bad, but for 20 years he thought he did. And 
and nobody should have to live with shame like that. And he understands how that feels. Her body language is very um, like childlike. And she said that she was seven. Her dad came into her room at bedtime and he told her how special she was and that she was the most important thing in his life. And he wanted to give her a present. And that present was the doll, Penny Perfect. And then he's like, oh, and he got into bed with you. And she starts to cry and and says, it's my fault because I knew it was wrong. But he said we couldn't tell anyone because nobody would understand. And he takes out, she he takes out a photo of Marnie and he's like, is that why you gave her the doll to keep her safe? And she's just crying and crying. It wasn't supposed to happen. So she looks at the photo of Marnie and she says to the photo, why did you come to my house? I told your mother not to send you, that you shouldn't come. And you would be fine if you hadn't come to my house. And she cries and caresses the photo and Jeremy Irons looks at her. And um, she gave Marnie the milk with the pills. And then they sat at the piano and she started to drift off. And that's when she took the wooden spoon. And so Marnie was like crying and was like, I'm going to tell my mom. And that's when she was like, oh, you can't tell your mom. And so that's why the pillow, the sheets got cozy and go be with God. Um, She starts ugly crying, so much wetness. She keeps saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And she collapses in sadness. And we take a little um, blackout moment and we're back and she's sleeping on the couch with the doll in the blinds room. And behind the blinds is the whole group talking shit about her. So at first they're (laughs) like... Yes, hell yes, we got a confession. We got to get her in the system and take her ass to jail. And he's like, jail? But what if she tries to take her life again? So we're going to keep her on watch. In the room, she gets um, on her knees and asks God for forgiveness. Like, please, please um, comfort Marnie's precious soul and those that needed my comfort and protection and I couldn't give it to them. And Benson goes, wait, what? Them? Who is them? How many lives has she ruined? We got to talk to them. So they do a collage um, of young piano girls and they all love her. And then we end with like a nice crisp outdoor walk and it's with Stabler and this punk rock team girl who outgrew her lessons because she just wanted to hang out with her friends. Um, this she- is um, this actress is Dylan Galula, who is from Kimmy Schmidt. Oh, Okay. And I've actually met her. We did a staged reading and she's super funny. She's really funny on Twitter, actually, this girl. Oh, fun. Yeah, she she does seem fun. It's a breath of like fresh air in this episode of sadness. And she's just like walking the dog, streaks in her hair. And he asks if she ever made her feel uncomfortable. And she's like, no, except for the last Monday when she blew her off. Um, her mom called her to be like, bitch, get home. That girl was kidnapped. And on her way home, she saw June arguing with an old woman and they were fighting and she ignored her when she said hi to continue arguing with this old lady with a cane. And then the old lady goes up to the stoop with June. So holy smokes, what's going on? So um, was that clear? So basically, you know, all the Monday lessons were canceled. And then she's walking around and sees June on the stoop arguing with this woman who then enters the home. So now the team is in the precinct with some connections to make. And what they figure out is the dad died, but guess what? The mom didn't and she remarried. So June lied. Um, the mom's name is Elaine Fry Cavanaugh, bad last name, and she's alive and well in Brooklyn. She was a legal clerk for 30 years um, and has been on disability since 2004 when she slipped and fell. Um, but like, why would you lie about your mom being dead? And well, she wanted her to be dead. So maybe it's like not protecting her from the dad. And so she's mad at the mom. And it's like, I'd rather you be dead in my brain than deal with the fact that you suck. And 
And again, I wrote again, Benson looks so good. <laughs> What's wrong with me? <laughs> Stabler is like, well, what if the mom molested her? And Irons is like, yeah, a lot of times girls lie and say it's the dad because it's just too much for them like to say the mom and like no one could believe it. So maybe she like lied about that. So maybe that, like, she didn't call the mom to help with the body or anything, but the mom was already there and Marnie came over and that's why she didn't want Marnie coming over because the mom is such an evil bitch. And June's mom killed Marnie. So that's, like, a new idea. So now they go to the limping mother's house and they tell her that June says she's dead and she chuckles it off and says, well, that's typical. There's a huge, like, art and stairs. This is a really big house. So, like, I feel like there's money there because the art is just, it looks like an art that would be at, like a skyscraper bank building. It's like a giant, giant mm -hmm. piece. Because even if it's bad art, that's not cheap. So current husband, Grant, um, so, you know, she got remarried. He died last year. And he says that he was just as weak and useless as husband number one. <laughs> she connects to Stabler having kids. And, um, like, she's firm but fair, but perfection is hard, but we gotta get perfect. And Benson's like, oh, did the handle of the spoon help with that? And the mom's face changes and is like, oh, try me, bitch. And she goes, tell me what that means. And she says, you weren't teaching her how to bake cookies. And Stabler says, or Marnie for that matter. And she's like, what, the girl who died? They're like, stop pretending like you don't know who she is. And she is like, what are you accusing me of? And Stabler's like, listen, why did you go to her house Monday? It doesn't seem like she likes you at all. And she's like, don't presume how my daughter feels about me. And Benson nails into her and tears well into this woman's eyes, like in an amazing way. I like this actress. And what's presumptuous is after the horror show you put her through, that you made her clean up your mess. And she goes, I do not make messes. So what happened with Marnie? Did you drug her and use the spoon on her? And she yells out that she's going to call her lawyer. And then up the stairs runs a girl named Katie. And the mom yells, tell them where I was Monday. Tell them. Okay, so this... This Katie Cavanaugh character, she's a friend of the pod. She was a guest. Her name is Agatha. <laughs> That's not her name. Her name is not Agatha. Agatha. Her name is Agatha Newicki. And she's from the episode in Prison Lives. And we love her. She's a great actress. She's an incredible actress. We've really enjoyed our interview with her. And in Prison Lives is based on the, what's his name? Abel? Didn't I keep calling him the wrong name in that episode? It's the Cleveland man. Uh, Ariel kept, Castro, right? Yes, and I kept calling him Abel. Yeah. And I feel like you had to be like, it's Ariel, please stop. <laughs> <laughs> so the mom, like I said, I loved her. We had Agatha, we love her. Lisa Baines is playing the mom. Sadly, she did pass in 2021. Um, mm -hmm. But she had 85 credits and she was a theater darling who won many awards and we can see why. So the mom to Katie says, tell them where I was Monday and how I got there. And Katie says that she had a bridge tournament up in Stanford and she drove her up and dropped her off. And Stabler goes, oh, you have two daughters? And she says, yes, one by Roger and one by Grant. Is that a crime? And Katie cries, what do you people want? I didn't do anything. And mom says, Katie, shut your mouth. Benson says, no, keep talking. And she screams, you don't need to be here. Don't you get it? She cries and runs down the stairs. No, 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 no. And closes herself in the closet of a room in the basement and rocks back and forth crying. So she clearly has some problems. They're like, why are you running away? Benson asks, is this your bedroom? And she goes, yes. And then the mom limps down and says, leave my little girl alone and get out of my bedroom. Done, done. 
So the mom looks pissed and she's breathing deep. You know, she had to like, you know, limp and cane her way down the stairs. And my God. And then Benson goes, oh my God. So we go straight to Rikers. And Blondie is like, why did you come? I told you everything. And they're like, but not the truth. You don't belong here. And you never did. And she calls the guard to take her back and says, I did a terrible thing. I deserve to be in jail. And they're like, listen, we know you put her in the duffel, but you didn't kill her. And her sister comes in and says, why did you tell them? And she says, I didn't. I promised Katie I didn't. And then they hug. And then June is like crying and apologizing to Katie. Like, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have left. So basically, like, she just feels really guilty because she ran away and goes, I left you. I should have stayed to protect you. And Benson and all of them are like, girl, your mom sucks. It's not your fault. Like, June, it is not your fault. So now we go talk to Katie um, and see what's up with Katie. So Katie says that um, that she wanted to go over to her house, but June said that she'd be out for a while and she was gone from the house. So just let yourself in and I'll meet you there soon. So, and that she had canceled her piano, the first piano lesson to let Katie come over. Um, But when Katie got to the house, the little student was on the porch and she had seen her before. So she went inside and she was so cute and innocent and sweet and she doesn't know why, but suddenly she asked her if she could take her clothes off and she's confessing all of this right now. So the girl said no and tried to leave and so she got real mad, but she didn't want her to feel bad. So she went into the kitchen, got pills, got the wooden spoon like the woman, um, like the mom did. And then June came home and saw what she had done. June listens at the spy window and then Benson lets her um, know like she's going to have to testify against her half-sister. Benson says they will send her to a psychiatric facility, but she will never be free again. And the mother will be going to jail for the ongoing abuse since the daughter and mom share a bed. Katie tries to talk to June through the mirror and says, I will always love you. You will always be my sister. June thinks things are her fault and how she, how like can't she forgive herself? But Jeremy Irons on the way out says, you can start by having me help you try. And he puts his arm around her and they walk out. And Benson, I feel like, looks suspicious, but maybe I, maybe not. I think she's just like, wow, this is such a fucked up situation. I hope this guy can help that crazy woman. Yeah. 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 So she was just protecting her sister who she couldn't protect when she was a child. So she wants to make up for it. And um, that's that. It is a wild, it's a wild one. This is a wild one. All right. We got a true crime to cover when we come back. So don't go anywhere after these messages. Okay. This episode is based on a crime that happened in Tracy, California, which is Northern California. It's like closer to like Stockton and Modesto, like east of um, San Francisco. Uh, An eight-year-old girl named Sandra Cantu disappeared in March of 2009. She lived at a mobile home park called Orchard Estates with her mom, her grandparents, and three older siblings. And so March 27th of 09, this little second grader played at a friend's house till 4 p.m. Then she came home and left saying she was going to go play at another friend's house. And when she didn't come home for dinner, her family reported her missing shortly before eight o'clock that night. 
And um, there was this piece of surveillance footage of Sandra crossing the street in front of her home. And that was the last time she was seen alive. And this was being played on tons of national news stations. Everyone's looking for her, reminiscent of like the Marnie being missing. Cops searched the mobile home park for her, but they got nothing. And so they called in the FBI. Um, And then the weekend that she was gone was 28, 29 of March. They brought in police dogs, equestrian teams, ATVs, a helicopter, all kinds of shit to help with the search, and a $22,000 reward was offered as well. Police started to become suspicious at one point of a woman named Melissa Huckabee, who was a 28-year-old Sunday school teacher who also lived at this mobile home park, and her daughter was friends with Sandra, the girl who disappeared. On the day of Sandra's disappearance, Huckabee sent a text to Sandra's mom that said, quote, tell the police that I had something stolen around 4 p.m. I don't know if that makes a difference or not. I don't, this text is weird. I don't know. The next day, at a vigil for Sandra, Melissa Huckabee approached police and FBI agents to report that she had found a note on the ground. And they said that she was acting, quote, very agitated, crying, hyperventilating. The note read, quote, Cantu locked in stolen suitcase, stolen spelled incorrectly, thrown in water on, on spelled incorrectly, Bacchetti or Bacchetti Road and Whitehall Road, period. Witness, period. So that's what this note says. Cantu locked in stolen suitcase, thrown in water on Bacchetti Road and Whitehall Road, witness. Another lead popped up when a couple told police that they saw Huckabee at a pond on their property on Bacchetti Road and Whitehall Road between 5.30 and 6 p.m. on the day of Sandra's disappearance. They later recognized Huckabee on television, and that's when they decided to go to the cops and say, hey, we saw this woman. They told uh, they told the police that she was distracted and hurried and that the woman said, I just had to pee real quick. So they probably thought nothing of it, but then when they saw her on TV, like, probably making comments because she was eager to be involved in this case, they went to the cops and said that they saw her. Police kept reviewing footage from surveillance cameras outside of Sandra's house. And here's the timeline from the day she disappeared. 3.54, around when she gets home from the first play date that she did, she starts walking towards Huckabee's residence. Eight minutes later at 4.02, Huckabee's SUV goes driving out in the opposite direction. Right around then, Huckabee called the trailer park manager to report that a suitcase, an Eddie Bauer suitcase, had been stolen from her trailer. As a former heavy shopper at Eddie Bauer as a child, I this resonates with me. Um, Wait, we used to always have to go to Eddie Bauer. So we didn't always go to Eddie Bauer, but there was this one purse that I wanted so bad. Like this other girl, Julia, had it, and I just like wanted it so bad. And I did get it. Did you, like, they were like these little purses... And they had like a bat, like a plastic clippy thing, and they would open. And they had netting in it, and it was like they were flat and cool. I don't know. I just felt like the coolest girl with my Eddie Bauer purse. I loved it. so Oh my much. god, I don't remember. It was an Eddie Bauer purse. Wow. Yeah, I wonder if I'm ever gonna be able to find it. I'm sure it's like on eBay somewhere or something. But yeah, I had an Eddie Bauer backpack when I really wanted an LL Bean. It You're was right. Like That's always- so funny. I just googled it, and it showed up on eBay. <laughs> But it wasn't this color. Okay, I'm going to send you the link. Like, Send if me the link. It. I need to see this Because mine part. was dark blue. Like, it's not a... But it was like this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen these. Yeah, because these are like travel. They're for travel, right? Like, your people wear these under their clothes when they travel. But I, I wore it to school. I loved it. I loved it. Oh I'd get, I have all my lip smackers in there. 
<laughs> Tourists are like trying not to get their passports stolen. And Lisa's like, so many compartments for my lip gloss. Love it. Okay. So uh, Eddie Bauer's suitcase is stolen. She calls right around the time to report the suitcase stolen. Around 5.30, she's caught on camera driving away from the church where she taught Sunday school. And from between 5.30 and 6 is when that couple said they saw her acting weird by this irrigation pond. And then around 6 o'clock, she returned to the church. So Huckabee also had a history of mental health issues, including borderline personality disorder, bipolar disorder, and schizophrenia. But the cops thought her behavior was just like she was looking for attention and like wanted to be involved in this big thing. Like they didn't make, they didn't consider her a suspect at all until they found the body. On April 6th, about, you know, nine days after she went missing, her body was found in a suitcase in a pond that was being routinely drained. It was like an irrigation pond. And the autopsy found that she had been beaten and sexually abused with a foreign object before being smothered. So the pathology report, like after, later the pathology report came out, like all the details of the case were unsealed. And it turned out she had been strangled with a torn piece of cloth that had been knotted into a noose. And that the cause of death was homicidal asphyxiation, which in the episode, I think they call it traumatic asphyxiation. So I thought it was interesting. It's like a similar... um, And the toxicology report found alprazolam in her system, which is Xanax. So in this episode, they decided to go with Ambien, but in real life, it was alprazolam, which is Xanax. So the FBI profile of the killer at first, much like the cops in this episode, was a white male age 25 to 40 with a criminal history of sexual assault or, um, you know, child pornography charges. And then the deputy district attorney, Thomas Tesla, said, quote, we thought there was no way a woman would do these things, end quote. So after the body was found in the suitcase that was alluded to in the note that Huckabee gave the police, they started looking harder at her. They were like, like, why would, you know, the only person that's talked about a suitcase is this woman and she had a suitcase go missing and that's where the girl was found. This is all too much. Oh, she was trying to pretend like the person who stole the suitcase did this? Well, yeah, but also some people thought she was like also maybe trying because she would have been so anxious to be involved that maybe she was trying to be like, I'm the one that solved it, you know, by giving them the note. Like, Mm. I solved it, you know? So there's a lot of there's a lot of mental health stuff going on with this woman as well. So FBI agents searched the church and collected a rolling pin from the kitchen, which was reportedly had a bloody smudge on it, as well as a bent handle. And that rolling pin did test positive for Sandra's DNA. Ugh, Ugh, horrible. So during an April 6th search of Huckabee's home after the suitcase had been recovered, they found a notebook with the, t- the title, the cover of the notebook said, quote, cute but psycho, things will even out. And inside the notebook, they found like pages where clearly the indentation came from the letters. Like she had written the note. Like, you know, you can just like do pencil to see like who wrote the note before you. That's basically what happened. So they brought her all of this crazy evidence and Huckabee sort of confessed. At first, she said that Sandra had hid in the suitcase as part of a game, but then stayed there too long and suffocated. And like, none of that matches up with the timeline at all. Like what actually happened was like, when they caught her on camera at 354 walking towards the house, she got in the car with her. She brought her to the church where, sadly, it's the church where Sandra's grandfather was a pastor. So it's like their family church and where this woman had been a Sunday school teacher and that's where she assaulted and killed this little girl. Um, So on April 10th, she was arrested and charged with Sandra's murder. She received further charges regarding the druggings of a seven-year-old girl and a 37-year-old man. 
But those charges, as well as the charges of sexually assaulting Sandra, were all dropped as part of a plea bargain where she pleaded guilty to first-degree murder and kidnapping of Sandra so that she could avoid the death penalty. So she got well, life in prison. And I wonder if being a pedophile in women prisons is just as bad as men prisons, too. Like, I wonder if that's part yeah, of it. Yeah, I wonder, too. But after um, she was sentenced to life imprisonment without possibility of parole, and at her sentencing, she denied sexually assaulting Sandra and asked her mother, Maria Chavez, for forgiveness. Like, she, I guess the whole time, always denied the sexual assault part. Like, she admitted the rest of it, but said she never, like, she said, quote, she did not suffer. Well, we'll get to it. She, quote, said, she did not suffer and I did not sexually molest her. I'm asking you, Maria, for your forgiveness. I can't imagine forgiving someone who harmed my daughter. I hope someday you can forgive me. She sobbed, apologizing to the family and said, I should not have taken her from you. I owe you an explanation, but I still cannot understand why I did what I did. This is a question I will struggle with for the rest of my life. So motive is a bit of a mystery in this case, as you're asking. It's also like, lady, leave town. Like, she wanted to be caught. She wanted to be caught. Yeah. Um, Motive is a bit of a mystery. Uh, One prosecutor in this case thought she might possibly have killed Sandra just for attention. Others said that Munchausen by proxy syndrome was a possible factor. Her own daughter had a history of being sick and in need of like hospital care that was like above the norm. And um, they said there were 20 or so times that uh, wait, this is a quote from Tesla, the guy I talked about earlier, the assistant, uh, the deputy district attorney who said, there were 20 or so times that Melissa cut herself, set fires or verbally or psychologically attacked someone else such as a roommate. And there was something like that going on here where she wanted to be the center of attention. So it could have just been like she was having a slow day for attention and was like, I'm going to do this. So people thought that the text, like the text message was obviously a huge clue to the mom being like, say that I had something stolen. I don't really know why that text doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But also, um, yeah, there was, they were speculated that she wanted to be the one who helped solve the crimes, more attention. And that's why she wrote the note. And people were like, you could easily see she wrote this note. Like, that's her handwriting. Like, you don't even need a handwriting analysis. Like, it's her handwriting. If you just, like, look at anything else she's ever written, like, it's her handwriting. So, really fucking sad. And that woman's in jail forever. Boo. Yeah. Boo but is they, right. Yeah, they, I mean, the whole thing about the mom being the molester is a different, that's the SVU spin on it. But who knows what's going gone on in this world, woman Melissa Huckabee's life, but she will be in jail forever. But uh, anyway. What, yeah, and her daughter hopefully is safe now because I'm, I don't know if you can go kill random kids and not, and be like chill to your kid. But you exactly. can, actually you can, I think, or not. No, I think that the, she was doing something to her kid. Like, people thought this Munchausen thing was like, her daughter was like sick all the time, going to the hospital. Like, I'm sure the mom was doing something uh, to her, but who's to say? I was not there. But anyway, we, of course, due to strike issues, will not have a guest on today's episode, but we are obviously going to do our usual postmortem. So don't go anywhere. As you know, we're not going to have a guest on today's episode in support of the strike. So we'll just get right into our postmortem. Lisa, what did we learn from this insane episode of television? You know, it's not a learn, but it is wild that the wooden spoon didn't leave splinters. 
Yeah. It's not that smooth. Like a hairbrush, because there, there was a hairbrush episode, right? Wasn't yeah. someone molested by a hairbrush? Um, like that is smooth, like a wooden spoon, or is it like made in a certain way that protects Maybe it's it? shellacked. I don't know. But yeah, that's no, that's not really where my mind went right away about this. <laughs> but you know, I guess my the my takeaway is uh make sure the fucking school secretary is getting your kid. I guess this is like an argument for cell phones, for kids to have phones, even like Apple Watch phones, where you can just say, hey don't go to piano, your lesson's canceled so that your piano teacher's sister doesn't kill you. It didn't make sense. Why did she kill her? I think it was like... Why did she even molest her? Just because molested people hurt molested people. And that's... I guess. I think that was it. And then it's like she realized once she kind of asked the inappropriate question and did something bad, she was just trying to cover up her tracks. Damn. Yeah. Also, I learned if you have an accent and grief in your life, the FBI will just throw you a bone. Yeah. Like, (laughs) (laughs) if you've had a recent loss, hit up the FBI. They will hook your ass up. No problem. Yeah. Just consult. Who cares? Like, what? That's so wild to me. Cap. Cap Jackson able to join the FBI on a moment's notice. I wonder what BD Wong had going on at the time. Anyway. And this was his last season, too. Oh, yeah. 12 was a lot of changes. I mean, to lose B.D. Wong, Christopher Maloney, Neil Bear, all in one one swoop. It's wild. Yeah. Yeah. That is 12 is, a, 12 is a turning point, for sure. 12 is a turning point. <laughs> anyway. What Let's else? wrap up. We don't need to beleaguer this, do we? No, we didn't. <laughs> but also, if you're a mom... Don't share a bed. Don't molest. Please. Please, that goes for everybody. Just don't molest. Please don't do that. Also, if you were molested in a house, remodel. You know, don't don't stay stuck. Oh, my God. Get some... Renovate renovate that beautiful brownstone. But why did she get to keep the brownstone and the mom is in this other place? I bet you that the dad, like, well, maybe the deal was like when the dad died, the daughter was like, I'm getting the brownstone. Get out of my life or I will like tell everybody what you've been doing to me or something like that. Because it sounds like the mom just remarried another guy and took him for his beautiful Brooklyn apartment with the art that you pointed out, you know? Oh, it's just, it's the dad's place. Yeah, because she's a legal assistant or something, they said. The, the mom has like, like, you know, stopped working a few years earlier, but had just been like a 30-year legal assistant or clerk or something like that. So she's marrying, I think, for, for money if she's getting brownstones and beautiful Brooklyn apartments with multiple levels. Although there's only one bedroom because that's how we know that they share a bed. Anyway. Yeah, and to have a bedroom in the basement, weird. When you but- have a cane... But is she being molested every day or do they just sleep chill sometimes? Like, I just have so many questions. I don't know. It's so upsetting. It's so upsetting. But let's move on. This week for What Would Sister Peg Do? Normally, this is a time where we direct you towards a website, a charitable organization, a documentary, an article, something to give you more info about what we talked about in today's episode. But honestly, nothing really pertains to this episode that we haven't covered before. And so we thought, since it's it's late August, school is starting, we thought we would direct you towards the Amazon wish list of all of our teacher listeners that we have been sharing on our Instagram. If you go to our Instagram, there's a highlight that says teachers. And if you page through that, there are links to 
dozens of wish lists for all of our teacher listeners. If you have a minute, if you have a few extra bucks, scroll through, grab people some post-it notes. It, it ships automatically to them. It's a really nice way to support teachers who unfortunately in our fucked up capitalist society are the least supported people. Uh, and, you know, we could really, they could all really use our, our help um, just getting their kids the supplies that they need. So we have so many great educator listeners and we've shared their wish lists. So head on over to that highlight and give it a give it a spin. Scroll back. Make sure we, we don't just all give to the first one. Scroll to a few in the middle and give some things if you can. Uh, yeah, that is amazing. And we'll never forget our memories. Shout out to Columbus, Ohio, where in our trivia game for our live show, a woman came up. And we always ask um, our volunteers, like, who do you want to fuck in the SVU universe? And she said, William Lewis. And everyone gasped. <laughs> and then after the game, she said, thanks again for posting my Amazon wish list. And we went, wow, you're a teacher and you need help. <laughs> you William Lewis fucker. <laughs> I mean, some people are able to se to separate the Schreiber from the Lewis. I can't do it, but if people can do that, or from the porn stash for that matter, but uh, I can't do it. But Godspeed to those who can. <laughs> so shout out if you're listening. We think about you often, our little William Lewis teacher. Um, next week, please join us. We'll be doing the episode web. It's a dark one. It's about the dark web. Season seven, episode 21. See you soon, everybody. Bye. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmesseduppod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmessedupppod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Casey O'Brien. And to our mixer, John Bradley, and our guest booker, Patrick Kotner. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Dun, dun! dun. <laughs> Follow That's Messed Up and SVU Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.